0: This morning's sermon. In this morning's sermon we're going to think about the topics, the Reformation themes of atonement and justification. We will do this by considering our scripture readings. In Job, we will reflect on what it is to be a kinsman redeemer, Job's faith through suffering, and how Job 19, 23 to 29 can be viewed in light of the New Testament. In John 12, we will consider the meaning of the cross, the atonement. In Romans, we will consider both the atonement and justification together, what it is to be justified by faith. As a prelude, sin is the root problem of humans since the fall, and we could not get rid of it ourselves. The solution was beyond us. The problem was intensified as being of the utmost concern because it related to the ultimate reality that we will all face, either now or on Judgment Day. The wrath of God towards sin as we come before his throne of judgment. When we stand there, are we justified or not? Can we atone for our own sin? Or is there a sinless kinsman redeemer who can atone for us? Atonement and justification are inseparable. They are inseparable because they concern the law court of God. It is an objective Forensic matter. What is at stake is the question of our status before God in terms of his law. Why is everyone guilty before God? Because our representative head, Adam, plunged the human race into guilt from a place of innocence. By his disobedience towards God's one command, you shall not. But he did. Adam disobeyed and and so sin, disobedience resulted. Everything that is contrary towards God's goodness for his image, his representatives here on earth, us, when we sin, the extreme paradox is that we keep ourselves from everything we long for. We keep ourselves from God himself. When Adam sinned, God di- when Adam sinned, disobeyed God, from there on the human race infringed God's righteousness God's righteous and holy law and we remain guilty being guilty the penalty is death and with the penalty of death comes the hell fires comes the fires of hell there is no point to a creation that disobeys its creator. Unless disobedience can be turned into obedience. Unless the guilty verdict can be atoned for. Unless God can redeem his fallen creation that in the beginning was declared good. Here's a glimpse of our hope, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, in Romans 4.24, where Paul provides a connection between atonement and justification. Christ was delivered for our offences and was raised for our justification. Here, Christ's death and resurrection are seen by Paul as being in unbroken unity. Yet there are distinctions. The death of Christ dealt with our sin and guilt. His resurrection secured our justification. And restored our righteousness. There are tantalising glimpses of God acting lovingly on our behalf. To secure our justification, to be declared righteous before God the Father in our reading in Job. Because justification consists not only in pardon for sins, the removal of guilt, but also in the imputation of righteousness. Imputation, the righteousness of another Declaring the plot the pardoned, righteous too. We are not only redeemed, but our innocence is restored to us, to those who believe, to those who understand that faith must be combined with repentance, as a result of godly sorrow for our disobedience. I think there's a dearth in the land of godly sorrow and I think we all long for it to return and I think we all long for God to bestow it upon upon us by his Holy Spirit with godly sorrow comes a great awakening and we long for a great awakening in our land Godly sorrow for our disobedience and our subsequent joy in being reconciled to restored fellowship, loving fellowship with God. Faith in Jesus Christ as our kinsman redeemer combined with godly sorrow leading to repentance gives rise to us being freely forgiven and his righteousness being imputed to us. Our sin is covered by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. God's wrath towards us, towards our sin, is appeased. Job saw it in faith. The book of Job is one of the earliest books in the Old Testament wisdom literature probably dating back to the time of the Judges. And Job proclaims with assurance during his extreme suffering, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job is saying that there is a kinsman Redeemer who will come to his defence the Hebrew dictionary lists the participle of ga'al, go'el, redeemer, as relating to the oriental law of kinship, as the next of kin is to be at the redeeming aid of one's kinsman. Hartley writes that it refers to ancient Israelite custom too. A kinsman redeemer had an obligation to initiate a lawsuit to win back or redress the rights of a brother who had been wronged and so restore honour and integrity. Hartley continues that Kinsman and Redeemer is also one of Yahweh's titles. It is rooted in the interpretation of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage in Exodus. Isaiah also frequently uses this title for Yahweh in proclaiming that Yahweh will create a new exodus by redeeming them from Babylonian captivity, Isaiah 43. Isaiah also uses the title kinsman redeemer to communicate Yahweh's unfathomable love for his distraught people. Isaiah 41, 44 and 49. These magnificent verses in Job are beseeching God in whom he has faith to help him against the same God who is punishing him. Over a thousand years before it happened on the cross at Golgotha, God the Son sacrificed himself to God the Father to redeem his people. Both both for Job and for Jesus, only by faith can a person believe God's justice amidst suffering. Jesus went into a realm that is completely beyond us when it comes to suffering. And yet he maintained his faith. I think we don't think about the consequences if he hadn't. But he is the son of God and is sinless, and he maintained his faith amidst extreme suffering. Because they were assured, both Job and Jesus, within their hearts that out of of this sorrow God will restore their honour. Job was looking for his own honour to be restored, Jesus did that for him and all his people in his atoning death. Our honour has been restored before God. We are now adopted children of God. We are forever in the loving presence of God the Father. Our honour has been restored. While Christ's disciples suffer in this life, He is their redeemer, their advocate and high priest before the Father. Job's confidence in God as their redeemer amidst excruciating suffering stands as an example for all Christians. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He atoned for us on the cross. We now move to John 12. John 12. Christ points to the atoning act of sacrificing himself willingly so that he can draw to himself, his people, the church, From all peoples throughout all remaining generations, from every nation and tribe. The point to note is the word draw, which is the same reference as in John 6.44. Only those who God regenerates in their spirit will be given faith to understand the significance of Christ's atoning sacrifice on their behalf Let me caveat that, if you have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, if you long for God's word, if God's word speaks to you, you are one of his people. God is regenerating you. He has quickened you by the Holy Spirit. You are part of his family. You are adopted into the family of God, the church, his bride. We have to be in union with Christ by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to understand the significance of what Christ did for us. The old covenant had been broken. And that covenant stated that the party that broke its terms, the Ten Commandments, must die. Much of the book of Hebrews is about Christ being our high priest, offering himself in our place to secure our eternal redemption. His blood ended the old covenant, as in Hebrews 9.17, and simultaneously established the new covenant, as in Hebrews 8.13. Christ was raised up as our high priest. He is our eternal atonement, the propitiation, the everlasting sacrifice for our sins. In our reading in Romans 5, in Romans 5. Paul describes Christ as having, by obedience, secured for us righteousness and life. We read that he suffered the just consequences that were due to us, not to him. 2 Corinthians 5, for he hath made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We need to appreciate that Christ's consistent faithfulness and obedience throughout his life included that he underwent the cross. It involved both his suffering for our sin, the penalty due to us of death, and also his positive fulfilment of the law of God on our behalf. Christ's entire life was vicarious, a life lived purely to redeem his people. Christ's life was one of obedience from beginning to end. What a contrast to that of the first Adam. Christ's life was to demonstrate to the world, to everyone, throughout all generations from the time of his ministry, that he alone could be obedient. That he alone could be sinless. That he alone must be worshipped. Because he alone is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The sacrifice given on the cross at Calvary is a pure sacrifice. But friends, it's far more than that, isn't it? It's the sacrifice of God giving himself to God. God the Son giving himself to God the Father. It's the fulfilment of the historical redemptive narrative of scripture, something that God worked out from all eternity and was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. When that stake, was, that cross was driven into the ground, there was an earthquake and it was the start of a new age, the age called the kingdom of God that started at his resurrection three days later and will continue until he returns and the kingdom of God is consummated and we have the new heaven and the new earth when we are resurrected which is tonight's theme from the dead. Christ's obedience secures our acquittal from our guilt and so gives us back our right status in the sight of God We have been granted a change of state from bondage to sin to bondage to righteousness. There is no grey area called freedom of the will. We're either in one camp or in the other. And friends, today, I hope we are all in the bondage to righteousness where God dwells powerfully to keep us on a right to keep us aright with him. We have the greatest gift in our toolbox of faith, and it is called repentance. Let us use it on a daily basis so that we keep short short account for the wrongs that we commit to our spouses and the wrongs that we commit to our fellow men and women in society. We must use the gift of repentance because it is the gift of repentance that brings us before the holiness of Christ, and Christ alone is holy. We will never achieve holiness. We rely 100% upon the holiness of Christ. And we fall before him, and as the older we get to, the more wretched we feel, the more we realise how far short we have fallen of the glory of God in our own witness as we seek to be more like him on a daily basis, but we fall on his holiness and we plead before him and the blood of the lamb is efficacious. It is sufficient, more than sufficient, to renew us and to put us aright before God the Father once more, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We lack nothing We have everything to keep ourselves in the presence of God. Our change of state combined with our change of nature, sanctification by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the full picture of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And it is why we worship and adore Jesus Christ, our our Redeemer, alone. There is none other. We must worship Christ alone. Uh, You'll be glad to hear. Sanctification is a different sermon, so I won't go into that this morning. But we must finish by touching on justification. Lethem writes that the atonement is an integral part Of the movement of God's grace which results in our being justified. Atonement is on no other basis than that of Christ and so is justification. We are justified by grace alone for it is imputed to us by faith in the righteousness of another God the Son The son of man. And so by faith in our sinless and resurrected Lord. We are made right with God the father. Our justification is the gift of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 It is undeserved, a work of God's goodness and mercy. As a consequence, we are justified, acquitted by faith alone. This is what marks us out as Presbyterians. This is what marks us out as being in the Reformation faith. We believe in justification by faith alone. For saving faith is abandoning trust in ourselves and committing ourselves fully to Jesus Christ alone. Letham writes that by entrusting ourselves to Christ, we are confessing our own sinfulness and the righteousness of Christ alone, which is sufficient to enable us to live with God. In summary, the blood of Christ covers, expiates our sin before God's throne of justice. Because of our high priest sacrificing himself on our behalf, atoning for our sin, God's just wrath towards us is appeased, propitiated. We are reconciled with God for all eternity. We are justified by faith. ...in the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. The atoning death of Christ is both unique and utterly sufficient. Unique because no other existed to rescue us. Unique because the unique person who died on the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our High Priest. Unique because no other atoning sacrifice could take away our sin, sufficient, because it blots out all our sin, justifies us before God, thus achieving our salvation, bringing us into loving fellowship with God for all eternity. Let us pray. We stand to pray. Father God, we come into your presence rejoicing in our salvation that you have redeemed us through the blood of your son, through the blood of the lamb that covers the mercy seat of God. We come into your presence, Lord, covered by that blood in the knowledge that it is sufficient beyond all measure to make us acceptable in your presence. When you see us, you see Jesus in us. We have been adopted as your children by the full obedience and sinless life of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We have been justified because of what he did on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that his righteousness has been imputed to us. We have the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we recognise how far short we fall of what you expect of us. But we are in huge adoration and worship and thanks that it is the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ, that makes us acceptable towards you, that bestows your love upon us for all eternity. And we praise you, Lord, that even as we seem see dimly in a mirror while we sojourn here on earth, we will see clearly when the Lord sees us face to face and he cleanses us of the sin that clings to us. But praise God, that sin that clings to us cannot claim us. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The power of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God for the victory that has been won by Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We now sing Psalm Psalm sixty-seven, verse uh, version one. Psalm sixty-seven, version one, verses one to seven. Lord, bless and pity us, shine on us with thy face, that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace. Psalm 67 verses 1 to 7. stand for the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.